0: you're listening to the UBC medicine learning network.
1: Hello everyone. Welcome to Metamorphosis. My name is Dan
0: and I'm Tina. Here on Metamorphosis, we are interviewing various physicians across BC with the aim of learning more about their specialties to help us navigate our medical careers. We have a very special guest joining us today, Dr. Peter Choi from anesthesia.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Peter Choi. I'm an anesthesiologist at uh, the University of British Columbia in the Department of Anesthesiology, Pharmacology, and Therapeutics. I am a clinician that practices at uh, Vancouver General Hospital and UBC Hospital, and I'm involved with the MD undergraduate program with the medical school
0: welcome Dr. Choi and thank you for being on the podcast with us today. Could you just start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you got into medical school and kind of your journey?
2: I think I've always been interested in medicine right from, according to my parents, grade three. Um, And so um, when I entered university, I um, decided to pursue biology with the thought of trying to get into medical school. Um, I was fortunate and got into medical school here at UBC. Uh, At that time I really did not have a good idea of what medicine was like. Uh, My initial impressions were based on encounters with my family physician and the first thing I thought I would become was a family physician. So I did actually all of my clinical electives in family medicine and discovered that that was not the area of medicine that I was interested in. Uh, At the same time um, I worked um, as a research assistant in the mood disorders clinic here at UBC um, while I was in medical school and so I was exposed to a lot of psychiatry um, and then the other thing that I was uh, interested in was internal medicine partly because my preceptors gave me very positive support about it and I found solving problems uh, was very interesting so by the time the Karms came along I was trying to decide between psychiatry and um, internal medicine and uh, culturally my family was not very supportive of me going into psychiatry so i chose internal medicine part of that's also um, by serendipity because back then the write-ups for internal medicine across the country for the residencies most of them looked almost identical and the only one that was different was the one at mcmaster university and because of that i put that as my first choice i had a few Uh, rotating internships that I picked and that was the only place I went for an interview and and I got into internal medicine so I wasn't in in, I wasn't in anesthesiology initially in fact um, my early impressions of anesthesiology was all negative we only had three days uh, three afternoons in the rotation for anesthesiology and back then we were assigned to a single hospital i was in bc children's which meant that uh, it was really difficult to do anything that's because with kids they uh, they desaturate really fast and your staff person intervenes right away so there was not a lot of chance to gain any skills when i entered residency if you had told me i was going to be an anesthesiologist i would have laughed Um, But unfortunately, or fortunately, uh, very early into my internal medicine residency, I realized there were certain aspects of internal medicine that weren't ones I enjoyed. And the things I really enjoyed were the acute management of disease. I liked technical procedures. Uh, And then because anesthesiology residents also do internal medicine rotations, the ones who were rotating along with me were telling me how great anesthesiology was and so um, as I was thinking about what I wanted to do um, that was one of the things uh, that I thought might be a possibility and in my second year I decided you know what I'm still going to take all the internal medicine rotations I need for for anesthesiology and we'll see what happens. And by then, I had told my program dec- director in medicine that that I wasn't going to continue for a third year. Um, and I had made up my mind that if I could not get a position in anesthesiology in in Hamilton, then I'd have to find some other way. Fortunately, I got the position. And I ended up in anesthesiology. But that's how I started anyways. It
1: sounds like along the way, you sort of took some twists and turns and changed your mind. I think maybe just going back to that first change that you made when you were thinking family medicine and then went away from it, what was sort of going into your decision to feel like family medicine wasn't right for you?
2: Um, That's a great question. And I think, um, you know, I was in sort of the position you were, you folks were in, um, in terms of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And... Um, Back then, we didn't have the fancy software based uh, questionnaire that you can take to look at what your personality, your interests, and in all. It was all on paper, and then you had these little index cards that you go through. And for me, it largely was that my initial impression of what a doctor is is a family doctor. And I think um, that uh, certainly for the curriculum, that's what we're trying to give you the skills for to be someone who can be a generalist. And I I have a lot of respect for my colleagues who go into family medicine because they are basically a front line and they do the primary care. But when I was doing my electives there, the thing I noticed was there were a lot of patients who came in and they would have health problems that they enjoyed speaking to the physician with. But that readiness for change was not there. So an example would be uh, one of the patients that I saw as a medical student was a woman who had came from her car accident. She had a rear ender to the family doctor's office. I don't think nowadays you could get an appointment that quickly. But uh, back then she literally had the app- the thing called the family doctor came. And so with the supervision of my preceptor we were i was explaining to her well these are things you want to do to ensure that you don't continue to have stiffness exercise physio things like that and we said we would see her in a couple of weeks two weeks later she came back and she had not done any of the things i've been recommended and now she was very stiff and i found that intensely frustrating that why do you come if you're not good. and and I realized it, it takes a certain kind of person to be very patient and not feel like this is about me at that age failure of someone to do something for me felt like it was me and um, I now looking back I can realize you know that was probably part of the reason why I didn't enjoy it and there was also a lot of paperwork that family physicians do and it seemed like it was a lot of after hour of that and neither of those things were things that I found appealing. I think if I had actually done a rural rotation my viewpoint may have changed but when I was in medical school not everyone could do a rural uh, rotation. Now I think all of you have some time in a, in third year for this. Back then it was a bit of a lottery whether you got to do it or not. So that that's Part of the reason I think why um, I changed. The other thing I realized as I became more senior as a medical student was there were some things that I just found much more fascinating and suddenly family medicine wasn't the only aspect of medicine that there was which I didn't know when I went into medicine.
1: Maybe if you can think back to sort of around that time when you decided for sure anesthesiology for you was it sort of a very rational pros and cons list where you sort of weighed both and decided yeah this is a good fit for me or was it like an emotional surge where you just realized that this was your calling it
2: was it was colored by a number of things and uh, I think anyone who's at that stage where they're thinking of changing especially in residency there's a lot of soul searching because you know you've you take so much energy to match in CARMS and you know I know everybody gets super excited or nervous on CARMS day and you got in and you think this is what I'm going to be and to discover that maybe this is not the right choice is really hard to make it took me you know a while to come to the conclusion that I was not going to continue internal medicine what I was going to do was still a little bit unknown and in fact um, I wasn't sure about anesthesiology but the things that I was looking at, first of all, uh, when I was doing rotations in critical care, the anesthesiologists who did uh, critical care medicine was, were always jumping in and doing things. They seemed to be very good at doing the procedures and they jumped right in. I noticed that it was quite different from the practice of a lot of internists who would round with you and then they had clinics or office things that they had to do. So they weren't as uh, present now maybe that was just the circumstances and not trying to uh, diss my internal medicine colleagues but it was it was just something I noticed and um, in the operating room the anesthesiologists just seemed to be a lot they were always very calm and just got things done but they were exciting things you know you get to make people you know if if there was a resuscitation needed it was sort of an anesthesiologist coming to help you out but It was always just very reassuring um, but whether that was the right thing I remember going into the interviews for the anesthesia position, and when I was asked that, I said why do you want to uh, my answer and it was very it was i just want to i think this is the right thing i had no good rational reason aside from these impressions that i had now also i redid that that questionnaire and thought well it sounds like it's a better fit than internal medicine but you know i was i was taking a big gamble some of the other things that colored my view was um when i was in internship i um Married my fiance, and we had been together for six years before that, so we thought you know we knew each other quite well, but that first year of residency I was spending so much time as a resident working that the marriage very quickly was deteriorating, so I had to make a decision that I have to find something where the lifestyle is compatible with it's either that or divorce and uh, that was one that was the best decision i made is not to go that route and to rather change what i did and so that colored in a way also my choice because the lifestyle of an anesthesiologist at least looking at the preceptors i worked with the people i looked up to was uh, was better all the internists that i looked up to were all seemed so busy with research and uh, clinical practice and um, it was a bit worrying to me because um, many of them were the ones that I looked up to were either divorced or or um, single which wasn't the category I wanted to be in yeah
0: so as you said it was a pretty big risk changing it and you know switching from one residency to another is kind of a delay in time and in a, in your career and really a lot of the things that come afterwards, do you regret that decision at all? Like, do you wish that you had known from the start that anesthesiology was the thing for you and that you had pursued it? Or do you feel like you learned a lot from internal medicine and it was worth taking the roundabout route?
2: I have no regrets. I can say that with confidence. I think um, what I gain from internal medicine is I still love some of the problem-solving clinical decision making that you see typically the sort of things that you see in medical school that they're trying to convey to you is very much from an internal medicine uh, perspective and i still love that problem solving i i love being able to make a diagnosis i don't do that as much now and i actually enjoy talking to patients which is kind of funny because we don't actually speak to our patients very much except in our consultation clinic but i enjoy that so um, and the skills I learned in medicine were still put to good use in anesthesia, but they they were in a different context. So I'm looking at people for a very short period of time. Um, and what my job is to ensure that their medical problems are as good, uh, as well taken care of as they can be before they come for surgery and anesthesia. And so understanding the medicine is still really helpful Um, and my particular interest in anesthesia has been in the perioperative medical realm so there's a subset of us who like doing what's called perioperative medicine which is the care of patients around the time of surgery prior to surgery during surgery and then usually within the first 30 days of surgery. So my area of research has been in that. So it certainly has colored what I do. Um, What I do miss is some of that patient interaction and the relationship. I don't miss the long list of people that you have to look after um, or some of the um, the more social work aspects of figuring out beds and other things so those parts i don't miss and in my field compliance is usually not a problem and that was another thing that i as i said i struggled a lot
1: with non-compliance could you expand a bit more on the patient interaction point because i know that's been something that a lot of people thinking about anesthesiology have to weigh how would you describe your interactions with patients and maybe the the enjoyment that you get out of it and maybe the frustrations too
2: so um, I really enjoy the preoperative assessment. Um, I think that's my chance to act. The, the challenge in anesthesiology is you have a very short time to establish rapport. Right? Often when we're seeing these people, they are not at their best. And they are also, uh, especially if the first time they see us is just before surgery. Right? So we have to find ways to uh, lighten the mood. Um, present confidence and at least explain to them how things are going to turn out and give them a realistic expectation of what we can do at the same time hopefully um, uh, being able to um, give them some confidence that things are going to turn out well Um, so I enjoy taking the history I enjoy doing the physical and then chatting about the plan with patients The other things that sort of give me satisfaction is after they wake up being able to go back and see them and see how they're doing so and every person is different some people want more you know some of my colleagues want less to do with that Uh, some of us want more so that's why I like working in the consultation clinic but uh, the things that you that I learned to give up is if you do your job right most people will not remember you and most people will not um, thank you for what you do because the person they'll remember is the surgeon right that's the person who fixed their problem we're really in the background saying you know we are keeping them alive we're the we're trying to get them either to be back to what they were before the operation if they were healthy or we're trying to make them better if they're coming in critically ill and we're doing something to try and make them better. But that sort of thing is done without the patients usually knowing about it, right? And so uh, if you're wanting a long-term relationship where you get acknowledgement and you're in the spotlight, then anesthesiology is not the the right place. Um, It's really feeling that I get the job done and being able to be to be aware for myself and pat myself on the back and say today you did a good job
1: maybe just a quick follow-up question for people who maybe don't know as much about the day-to-day flow of anesthesiologist Mm -hmm. maybe if, if you can think for an average patient how many times over the course of their surgery would you see them and interact with them and about how long would those interactions look like so
2: um okay so if a person is healthy coming for an elective procedure Um, they may or may not have a chance to interact with the anesthesiologist outside uh, before surgery in terms of like going for a a pre-operative appointment to get a formal assessment okay we we used to do this all the time but with the way healthcare has moved we realize many people don't need to be seen by a doctor um, days before surgery they don't need to come in the night before to be admitted So many people, their first experience is just when they're in their hospital gown, you know, an hour or so or two uh, minutes before they're going into the operating room. And they'll, you know, they'll meet the anesthesiologist, we'll have a chat. And I have to admit, those kind of interactions are usually 15 minutes or less. So that's their first impression. The next time they see us, they're on the operating table and the typical stereotype is they'll see this mask drop down over their face and then if they're getting general anesthetic and then they won't recall anything until they get to recovery room and depending on how healthy or unhealthy they are they may or may not see the anesthesiologist ever again it'll be their surgeon that they'll see so our time is actually very limited okay if they're doing something that isn't under general then they would be spending time, like we would be keeping them company and watching over. Them. We're always in the room. It's just that they may be aware that they we're around. But even then, most people have sedation. And so they don't even remember that we're around there. Yeah. So as I said, it's it's a different interaction. It's certainly not the kind that you would get on a ward where you have a lot more time. The other time that they might see us again is if they are using some of our pain management modalities so then we would round on these pain for instance if they had an epidural in for pain relief we would come by and see them after to make sure that their pain relief was adequate there are no complications and so that might be the other time that they might see us again.
1: I know you talked about before that your decision to go into anesthesiology was in part colored by sort of your relationship and lifestyle factors related to it I wonder, do you have any advice to offer medical students who are feeling that pull between maybe interest in the medical field and considerations of their lifestyle and how to navigate sometimes those very opposite goals at times?
2: Um, again, that's a really good question. Uh, it, some of it will depend on where you are in your relationships, right? Um, You know, if you've been in a long-term relationship, you you and your partner probably know each other fairly well. And then I would say that the decision-making process uh, of what you want to do will um, certainly—it's best if you involve your partner in thinking about what this might mean in terms of your life. Okay. Um, If you are not in a relationship, then it's really what you want to do the challenge is going to be will the other will your partner be able to follow you into what you wish to do and so how important your relationship is depending on where you are in your stage is going to infl- will, will need to be um taken into account when i decided to go into no medicine i was engaged but i wasn't married yet and um, one of the difficulties my uh, wife had when I proposed was uh, I told her I was moving to Hamilton. And none of us knew what, neither one of us had ever been to Hamilton. Uh, and she really had to think about that, about do I really want to move, because we both grew up in Vancouver, do we want, does she want to uproot, leave her family, and move to this city she had never seen, and, uh, and leave her job? So those are some of the considerations you have to put into it.
0: For myself personally, I want a job where I'm not looking at the clock and counting down the minutes. I want to be like in love with my career, but also able to explore the other things in my life because you know, all medical students, we have interests outside of medicine as well. And so taking all of these things that you've mentioned into consideration, is there one thing that you would give the most weight to? Or are you kind of a fan of pros and cons and looking at everything as a whole?
2: Um, I'm the latter. I think there in, in uh, medicine and in life, there's always give and take. And some of those values will change over time too, right? And so um, to make, when I make a decision, I have to look at all the various things that I feel may be important to me and then have to figure out how much of which when I, am I willing to um, give up or put on hold and what are the things that, are, that I must, must have. So f- as I said, for me the relationship with my wife was not one of those things that were going to be ne- not, uh, negotiable. Uh, and then when we started looking at me changing into anesthesiology, one of the things had been suggested was that i uh, there may be positions in ottawa and winnipeg which happen to be very good programs in anesthesiology and my wife had basically said uh, i have a job here uh, here in toronto now and that's not negotiable at this point in time unless we move back to vancouver so again that was to me location wasn't an issue but for her it was Uh, and again that also highlights because my one of the values is relationship was important for me other people may find that you know you may say there are certain things I want to continue to do in my life and they may not be compatible with some of the um, expectations in whatever field you're in and I, I can't think of any off the top of my head Um, residency is always about trying to balance those things and then once you get into your career again it's a new balancing again because you in a way you have some control how you set up your practice and in other things you don't in anesthesiology the challenge one of the drawbacks is you don't have as much control of when you work you know we work in a group practice we're located in hospital the number of people that are needed are dictated by surgical wait lists and availability operating room you can't just unilaterally say i'm gonna take time out now um, you have to look at the considerations of your department you know whereas if you chose to be um, just working in for instance let's say walk-in clinics or doing locums you have a lot more flexibility for instance. now that's an extreme example of the opposite of what it is Um, But those are some of the things that you know you have to think about you know it might be things you are very good at that you don't want to give up and maybe deciding can I still pursue this while I'm in residency career do I need to change how much I do of it Um, or do I need to put on hold for a little bit those are things that you consider so I can't think of any one particular thing that i would say this is the line that you know like this is if i don't have this then it's uh it's a no-go for me aside from relationships
1: it sounded like you did that with your wife you had that negotiating process where you were both negotiating what was what each of you valued and how you're gonna go forward
2: yeah i don't think we were as um intentioned as I described it you know it was um, probably messier back then and uh, but yeah that was uh, looking back yeah that is essentially what we did.
0: Could you discuss what your job entails what the job of an anesthesiologist is and what your day-to-day looks like?
2: Sure um, I'll preface that because I'm full-time faculty I, I would say that I'm not quite representative of what the typical uh, anesthesiologist does, but in terms of what I do, I, um, an anesthesiologist and anesthesiology is really the practice of providing perioperative care for patients. Okay, um, the f- public sees mostly us as the people with the mask on who take care of them during the operation, but really the time that we care for is ensuring the the one of the big questions you always try to teach our students is, is this person as good as they're going to get before they come into the operating room for surgery and anesthesia? Because um, bad things can happen, and so we want to minimize it. So it's about trying to get people optimized, as we call it, and also determining what are the, the level of risk that they undertake when they come for surgery and anesthesia. And then after surgery... How can how can we follow and during and after surgery? Is what can we do to try and mitigate those risks? Uh, we focus a lot on cardiovascular and respiratory systems uh, because a lot of what we do entails that. And the other things we are very obsessed about is pain, so pain management, and also postoperative nausea and vomiting because that's one of the. That's an, usually an iatrogenic complication caused by some of the things, the drugs we give. Um, our, our practice entails a lot of maintaining homeostasis. So we rely a lot on uh, the foundations of pharmacology and physiology. And I, I like to tell students that every person we look after is like a one person lab in pharmacology and physiology, so we get to know our patients, but in a perverse way, not by talking to them, but watching what their body does in response to the operation and to the things that we do. And every person is different that way, so it's a kind of a strange way to look at human beings, kind of like pathologists see human being. So we are more looking at, we get to know their physiology and a bit, a hint of what their how they metabolize drugs and handle certain stresses um, by spending time with them. So it's it's really a, a specialty that deals a lot with physiology, pharmacology, monitoring, risk assessment, and um, uh, being experts in managing the airway and experts in dealing with acute pain. So the typical anesthesiologist would be someone that's based in a hospital and you would usually work uh, if you're full-time you're looking at you know um, a five-day week schedule working in the operating room you would have your turns to be on call at night covering emergencies or um, looking after the needs of uh, pain management needs for instance of pregnant women um, and um, and basically you see the patients in the morning it, before your surgery you'll take care of them in the operating room you hand over to the nurses in the recovery room and you repeat until your list of cases are done and you usually spend the day with one surgeon and a team of nurses so it's a it is very much a team-based approach now especially in Canada we're much more collaborative in some ways than other cultures and so um, but it's sort of this cycle of just constantly doing the same thing But when you leave the hospital, your day is done. Uh, When I was in internal medicine, one of the things I noticed is when I left the hospital, I'm still thinking about my list of patients and what is that diagnosis? Or I got to remember to follow these blood work or I've got to arrange this investigation tomorrow. Whereas for us, when we finish a day, we're basically going, uh, assuming we've done our job and we've handed over and we're comfortable with the status of patient, that's it. And, that's, uh, and then the next day is a new day, sort of thing. You might t- get an opportunity to go and follow up on someone if they're admitted after surgery, like to check on how well they're doing from a pain perspective. But there's not much m- more to the relationship. So the bad thing is no long-term relationship. The good thing is when your day is done, it's done. You don't carry, you don't take your work home with you. So that would be a typical sort of setting of a, the clinical practice of anesthesiology. In an academic setting, you know, there's other things that you could add on to it, uh, which is what
1: I do. Yeah, I've heard the expression that in anesthesia, there's sort of you're either at zero or you're at 100 and you have sort of a very keeping things going or you have a very acute case. Do you feel that that's an accurate statement or what do you think about that?
2: Um I think that's a fair statement to make. Um, You know, one of the sayings is that it's uh, 90% boredom, 10% sheer terror. Uh, Another analogy that we use is that in our specialty, uh, the things we do are very much like pilots. So we rely a lot on quantitative data to make our diagnosis as opposed to because our patients are asleep and can't tell us things. Most of the time, you know, getting a patient off to sleep is a time that is, has some risk, so it's like the takeoff of a plane. You get into mid-flight and most of the time, it's, if everything's going well, it's quite boring from, for a spectator who's not an anesthesiologist saying, you know, you're just twiddling your thumbs, looking at a bunch of little bips going across your screens. And occasionally there might be turbulence mid-flight where something happens that you need to do something about. And then the landing is the hardest bit. Um, We're waking someone up as they emerged from from anesthesia. And so if you continue that analogy, you can say there are times when you're really like a bush pilot where you're just flying short distances and there's not a lot to go on. So those really fast turnover cases where things are happening all the time, so there's no time to stop. Uh, or you could be on a long transatlantic flight where it's a very long case such as a spine operation or a neurosurgery where things are usually pretty stable during the case and it's only the induction and emergence. Or you could be a jet fighter pilot where the whole case is about trying to keep from crashing, the patient crashing. Uh, and so... Depending on your personality and probably the stage of your career, you get attracted to certain things. Some of my colleagues are real adrenaline junkies. So they go into the subspecialties of medicine where there's always these acute things going on. Um, others are uh, prefer a more calm environment. And most of us, as we get older, also go... If it's a boring day, it's a good day because it's there's less complications going on things are running well We're no longer well at least for myself as I age. I'm not looking forward to seeing unexpected events Medical students love it when they shadow me They love seeing when something unexpected happens because they then see how you actually operate In that field, but for most of us it's going like well, we're not looking seeking to have these things happen so so that's sort of the analogy that we would have about anesthesia so yeah there's some truth that it can be very boring like looking like it's zero and all of a sudden you're at 100 sort of thing
1: can you expand on what subspecialty options there are in anesthesia to sort of go one way or the other in terms of that experience
2: so i think the, the profession has um is a good Gateway to a number of different things. So, typically in any specialty, there are going to be subspecialties, like internal medicine, there's a lot. Um, and in anesthesia, we have subspecialties depending on the system. So, for instance, if uh, there's cardiac anesthesia, so there's people who will take extra training to be able to give um, anesthetics for uh, patients who are undergoing heart procedures, either open heart or not. Um, and that's and there are formal fellowships for that um, if they're doing uh, there's thoracic anesthesiologists who are basically ones who have an extra training in anesthetics for people who are having lung resections and resections around that in, in the thorax there is neuroanesthesiologists who basically focus on the CNS so surgery of the brain or the spine uh, we have people who do regional anesthesia. So they're very good at sticking needles and injecting uh, local anesthetic into different nerve plexuses and things like that. We have those who specialize in kids, pediatric anesthesia, and those who specialize in uh, pregnant women and the issues that can happen with them, obstetrical anesthesia. So those are some of the things um, that are there. Um, Then there are some more academic fields. You could you know you can specialize in medical education you can specialize as a clinical epidemiologist which is what i did um in terms of like research and that sort of thing um you there are now you know extra people who pursue medical leadership opportunities and formal training in that so those are um sort of non-clinically related self-specialization you do there are other things that anesthesiology allow you to go into because of the skill set we have. In some countries that's the route into critical care medicine. In North America it's one of the routes into critical care medicine. So there are colleagues of mine who are anesthesiologists who do a year or two more of critical care medicine so that they they actually work in intensive care units. Because we deal with pain in our specialty a lot some of my colleagues have subspecialized in management of chronic pain, so not the pain from surgery, but people who have long-term pain that need slightly different solutions. Um, and then there's the field that I sort of focus uh, my academic interest in: perioperative medicine, which is an emerging field, which uh, where um, you're looking at the patient across the entire spectrum from pre-op. post-op but we're really looking at it in terms of reducing the risks and adverse events in that field so it's a combination sort of of internal medicine various specialties of internal medicine anesthesiology uh, and surgery itself so it's really fascinating because it is a multidisciplinary area where nobody has sort of um decided to sort of say this is our territory yet so that's so in that way so so those are some of the things that you can branch out to
0: so anesthesiology is also a plus one option for those training to be family doctors could you talk a little bit about the differences between the two streams and what they're able to do and where they can work
2: yeah and so um the plus one option in anesthesiology is really at least in um In BC is designed to identify people who have an interest in the delivery of anesthetic care in communities that are going to be smaller uh, with sort of less resources so in in BC they're generally smaller community because most of the big cities you have to be a royal college trained anesthesiologist so I have friends who are GP anesthesiologists in places like Terrace, Vanderhoof, Um, some of the smaller towns where you may not have the acuity or the caseload that would allow a royal college anesthesiologist to maintain their full skill set. So the difference between that year and a five-year royal college thing is that in one year you can learn how to provide safe competent anesthetic care for patients who are fairly healthy Um, and uh, so with maybe minimal comorbid conditions that are well controlled and give those anesthetics for what we call like sort of bread and butter surgical procedures the procedures that would be done even in small communities it does not give them the um, the competency or the comfort level to handle the rare kind of conditions that patients might come in with, the more subspecialized procedures, um, or the extremely sick person, uh, aside from if this was a true emergency. So, in those communities, you wouldn't see someone who had a lot of comorbid conditions who needed specialized care afterwards come in for an elective procedure. Both partly because the hospitals wouldn't have the uh, the resources. And you wouldn't have people who are comfortable looking after them. And I'm not just talking about anesthesiologists or surgeons, but you have to have a whole team, nursing care and things like that. So that one year gives them that. And as a specialist, I'm supposed to be able to handle those settings and have at least a good foundation of all the various subspecialties. I may not be a subspecialist, but if push came to shove, I should be able to at least give a credible safe anesthetic for ver- in these rare things the pluses and minuses i've i've been out on early in my career when i was uh when i finished i, I had the opportunity to go out to some do some mission work and so what i observed is people like me uh, are really comfortable dealing with the higher risk surgical candidates And so, you know, at least back then when I still did pediatric anesthesia, you know, gave me a child to anesthetize, I was quite comfortable with it. The GP anesthesiologists were um, a little more reluctant to take those um, cases because they, um, at least in in what we were doing, not that GP anesthesiologists can't do pediatric anesthetics, but it was just the conditions where we were, they were less comfortable with that and that's understandable but they were able to do a whole lot more other things you know if we if they need if we needed someone to you know do non-anesthetic tasks um, they could jump right in and do them so in one place I went we were doing a lot of eye surgeries um, and uh, the GP anesthesiologists could also do the uh, ophthalmology exams credibly and I remember one day when the the exam room was really busy and the ophthalmologist pulled me and said, I'm going to give you a crash course on fundoscopy because I need another person. To, you know, I was really not uh, a good choice for that, okay? Um, and that's the difference, okay? So I think, you know, if I, if, if I could do it over again and say I couldn't do anesthesia, I probably would have gone into GP anesthesia because it gives you a, a different skill set that is sort of, portable across the world in some way
0: and along that vein is there anything looking back in your career that you had wished you had known when you started um, or anything you would have done differently
2: I think a lot of those I've, I've spoken to medical students about um, as I said I'm pretty open about sort of some of my mental health problems and I think some of that goes back to um, that lack of appreciation of the skills that aren't related to content, not medical content, more of how to look after myself. How do I view myself as a person? Do I tie my value as getting things right? um, And that when bad things happen, it's an indication that it reflects on me. Um, Knowing when to ask for help. Which uh, you know, I think you know. Maybe your generation laugh and say these are easy things, but for me, it was asking for help seemed like it was an acknowledgement of failure or you're weak, and they're not okay. And those there's those sort of things. Um, all the resiliency that skills that you're ta- that you're being told are things I had to learn when I was much older, mm-hmm. um, and also realizing that your career is a marathon it's not a sprint you don't need to accomplish everything in the first five years of your career or something and sometimes you just have to be patient and move slower or you'll burn yourself out which is what i did and uh, and and i think even though i don't i'm not you know i wouldn't wish it on anyone but having uh, having uh, developing a mental illness for me slowed me down and helped me see what i need to change to be able to balance my life better now i can't say i'm a professional at balancing my life i still have times of the year where there's too many things going i still have a hard time learning to say no to people i'm better but not so but these are the sort of things that you know as medical students you are already being told these things um and you know we hope that some of it is sticking because maybe i had learned some heard some of these things from my teachers when i was in medical school but it certainly didn't stick
0: i wanted to thank you for your advocacy and being so honest to us about some of the the issues that you've dealt with because I think even though we are in a society that is evolving and changing, it's due to people like you who are sharing your story. Um, so thank you for that. Um, over the course of your career, what's one thing that you would say should be the focus of any any doctor, any medical student? I think it's really easy to get caught up in knowledge and content. But what what is the focus, would you say?
2: I think the thing that's really helped me in my career once I got over the idea that I needed to know everything um or I'm a, or I'm an imposter which is a thing that I think all of us sometimes think we do is realizing that the even in my field where my interaction with people is uh, is less it's the relationships that is the, the most important thing um, medical knowledge will change over time and yes we have to continue to keep up-to-date technical skills are things you can acquire but the the things that are either fragile or firm is how you treat people you know I th- i I think many of us came into medicine thinking we want to help people um, and that's what started us on that journey. Sometime along the way, sometimes we get jaded, we get tired, we get caught up with other things. And it's it can be easy to forget that those relationships are the things that we have. that That's where the energy comes. And I'm not just talking about patience, you know, building the relationship with the patient and being able to try and look at the person and say, you know, as much as this person... Is annoying me or driving me crazy because I'm tired or angry or whatever. Somebody loved that person at some point in time. And if I can just grasp and say, you know, can I see that person in the lens of saying that they're still a human being? And in spite of my inability to feel that way, I still have to look after them that way. That helps me to try and be. Um, a more empathic or empathetic individual with those things and i'm thinking of the one like there's always some people that you'll find you just don't find you could care for and that's where that little twist but the other thing is also your relationship with your co-workers you know um, it's so easy for us in medicine to get so busy that we um, we can't read the signals from our colleagues when things are not going well for them. Some of the joy of working in healthcare is when you can um, share, relation, you have relationships with people, not just doctors, but nurses, might be the cleaning staff that works for you, all that, and being able to feel like that you know them and that you're working as a team, and that as a team, you can accomplish
0: something. So my next question would be, do you think that there's a certain type of medical student that's best suited to anesthesiology, or are the skill sets like staying calm in an emergency things that can be learned?
2: Ah, the nature versus nurture thing. And I think there's a bit of both. Um, I'll tell you an anecdote. So I was... um, I was at a uh, leadership workshop, and the, one of the ones that they had was about self awareness, knowing yourself. And um, one of the things they did is they give you these questionnaires to look at what kind of type of person you are. And all of us thought that surgeons would be a certain type, internists, you know, like there's certain stereotypes. And what we found, and what they told us from having done this many a time, is that people of all different types. All different natures end up in specialties. So the stere- we have a stereotype of what we think is the typical person, but the truth is that you can be any, an introvert or extrovert. You could be someone who um, loves action, like dives right in, or someone who has to think about it to do it. You can be any of those and still succeed. Okay, because some of those things you're talking about are skills that you learn. You acquire there are traits that may uh, make it easier for you so for instance in anesthesiology uh, we often comment that we tend to have obs- if we don't have them we acquire them obsessive compulsive traits so we're focused on one person at a time and we're very very obsessed about details you know you know paying attention to your blood pressure heart rate carbon dioxide you know we're just like tweaking things and and um that's a that's certain traits that you know if you come in as a medical student already in a rotation with those we would pick up on those and in a way it would be uh whether conscious subconscious we would say this person seems good for anesthesia right uh, anesthesiology not for anesthetics um but and that's probably because these are some of the traits that we have, that tends to help is you do have to be someone who likes to do things with your hands you have to be comfortable um, that no one else is going to acknowledge you for what you do necessarily so you have to have a certain ability to say to yourself and, and be and say I did a good job instead of expecting that other people are going to tell you to. so there's little things but a lot of this again you can learn if you have those traits you may find that that particular you know that our specialty is just seems to be more interesting that's all it is so I don't know you know really whether people go in because they have the traits to start with or whether it's because um, they found the specialty interesting and then they acquired the traits I can say for myself that I've I've already had those uh, obsessive-compulsive traits before i entered anesthesiology because it's also useful in internal medicine Um, and the i wasn't always comfortable with sort of the crises moments or having to portray like to be able to manage staying calm but those things i learned to do over time yeah
1: you talked a little bit before about the lessons you've learned along your career in terms of managing your own wellness And I'm just wondering, do you have any advice for medical students who maybe at some point along their educational process might find themselves struggling with a mental illness?
2: I'm not in a position to offer advice to any particular individual. Um, I think some of the things I've learned is that uh, one is try and build a social support. Uh, In medical school, that depending on whether you have um, people around you, family and things like that, it might mean families. It might be friends either inside or outside medical school. You also develop friendships in medical school and some of them are gonna last a long time. And so those are some of the things that, um, that social support is very helpful. I found being able to gripe with my classmates allows you a safe place to be able to sort of decompress and it also means that uh, if you do it then it also means you're not talking shop all the time at home or if you have a party with your friends and your partners there and that you sort of inadvertently exclude the person because every one of you is talking shop and And that's one thing I learned (laughs) in marriage is that you have to be very careful. Um, So having those social support and time to be able to do that is very helpful. Um, A harder thing to do, I think, is being able to recognize when you need help. And this is why I say relationships are so important because you have to look out for each other. So in medical school, you see each other probably more than anybody else sees you. And if something's different about the person, as polite individuals, we often just feel like it would be intrusive for us to ask. And one thing I learned to do from my own experience, realize if someone's behaving in a way that's not typical, it doesn't hurt to ask and say, you know, how are you doing really? Like not just, hi, how are you doing? Sort of walk by, but, you know, or say, you know, I noticed you were this, this and this. Is everything all right because you may be the only the first person to ask that Um, and that's that's partly because it's sometimes when someone is experiencing those um, that kind of stress or having in a state where they're mentally unwell one day it, it could be that that person doesn't recognize it it could be that that person uh, is a, a fears the stigma or uh, this person may be unaware that it's affecting what they're doing and think everything's fine uh, and, and, uh, and go well if nobody's commenting then it can't be that serious or something Some of that again goes back to building that support um, One thing I've told other people is uh, there are people in my department who know that I have Um, have suffered from bouts of depression and the ones that I trust I can tell them that if my behavior changes you need to tell me because I may not realize that what I'm doing is different and maybe um, I need someone to tell me you know something is not right here so those are some of the things I think um, for people who may have mental health problems those are that support system and building in some of the checks are ways to help trying to find time to address one's own uh, health needs is important too and i cannot advise anyone about what any individual should do you know you all have your own ways to look after yourself hopefully Um, and if you haven't then it's it's important to start in medical thinking about that for myself you know i uh, i had to get over the guilt that i don't need to work 10 hours every day so if i need a bit of downtime there may be an academic day where i say okay um i can end the day early take a little bit of time off because i know at some point i'm going to be working on a weekend or something too to do something and so in the end it all balances out but maybe i need just this afternoon i just need to decompress or something and not feel guilty that i'm doing that and trying not to let the inner voice tell you you're lazy or you're um you're not pulling your weight now i'm assuming of course that you are all hardworking conscientious individuals and not in the category someone who really isn't interested but but that voice is sometimes will come in and tell you you know you you shouldn't really be taking this time off you should be studying a bit more or something and that's something you learn to uh, have to negotiate
1: thank you i think you offer a good perspective on someone who's farther along the process than we are for sure
0: so as we're coming to the end of the interview, I just wanted to end with one question, which is what's something that you're really proud of?
2: I would have to say that the thing that I'm proud of is not about medicine per se. Uh, medicine is a part of me, but it, is not, it doesn't define me completely. And so the thing I'm most proud of is that um, I have a good loving relationship with my wife we just celebrated our 25th anniversary just uh earlier this year and i have two teenage children who still enjoy talking with <laughs> us and coming home and spending time with us and you know in spite of adolescent changes they're pretty good kids and i think that being a father and a husband are probably the most important things that I would say are, are the accomplishments that
1: I'm most proud of. Are you saying that just because you know your family is going to listen to this podcast? Not
2: at all. No, no. I've I've thought about this very much, and this is this is the thing. You know, I love what I do for a living, but um, it would be very different if I didn't have uh, my wife and kids.
1: Thank you very much for talking with us today and I think I speak for everybody who's listening on the podcast that we really appreciate the time that you spent today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank
0: you so much Dr. Choi. You're welcome. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network.